birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What's in a name? It's one of William Shakespeare's most famous lines. It asks a peculiar question. What's in a name? Do names matter? I remember when Jenny and I were naming our girls, we went online to figure out what the names meant. We wanted to make sure that these names meant something that we would hope they would become, or at least at the very least, it wasn't something embarrassing. It's the reality is today, names don't mean a whole lot always. For example, my name is Paul, which is Greek for small. And I've been six foot four since I've been in the eighth grade. It, it doesn't quite fit. But, but when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, names meant a great deal. And Matthew tells us, that an angel comes to Joseph and he tells Joseph to name the child Jesus. And then he goes on and tells Joseph that Jesus will save his people from their sins. This is significant because Jesus means Savior. What is so striking about Matthew's gospel is that we are told that Jesus was actually given two names at his birth. The first you've all heard Jesus. The second is a little bit less familiar, but just as important. We are told that Jesus was also named Emmanuel. And Matthew goes out of his way to tell us that that means God with us. You see, Jesus was given two names. The first, Jesus, about what he came to do. The second, Emmanuel, about who he was and is. And wrapped up in just one name, we are given the fullness of the doctrine of the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. That God came down to us. That God became one of us. God became man. And everything that we cling to as Christians the death and the resurrection of Christ is rooted in the incarnation. You see, there can be no humiliation at the cross, no exaltation in the resurrection without the mystery of the manger. The incarnation means everything for us as Christians. And there is no carol quite like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel that tells us of what the incarnation means. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is based 
on the O antiphons of the ancient church. They date back to the 8th century. These antiphons were liturgical chants. Each antiphon a name given to the incarnate Christ. Names like O Emmanuel, O Lord of Might, O Root of Jesse, O Dayspring, O Key of David. And each one of these antiphons is a name given to the incarnate Christ. Each one of them part of Isaiah's prophecy of who Christ would be. Each one of them makes up the five verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And so this morning we're going to allow, as we continue our study through a theology of carols, we're going to allow O Come, O Come, Emmanuel to be our guide through the scriptures. And so if you have your bulletin, invite you to take it out, but also take out a Bible. We'll be in Matthew, we'll be in Isaiah, and we'll be following along some of these lyrics together. And what I want you to know this morning is this. The glory of the gospel begins not just at the cross, but it begins at the wonder of the incarnation. And in this way, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God come down to us, God in the flesh, This is the gospel. It is good news for us this morning. The incarnation proclaims the good news of the gospel in four ways. The first is this. It tells us that Jesus is God with us. Second, it tells us that Jesus is the savior of his people. Third, it tells us that Jesus is the light in the darkness And fourth and finally, the incarnation proclaims to us that Jesus is our coming king. The first way that the incarnation of Christ proclaims the gospel to us is this, that Jesus is God with us. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, Matthew writes, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall come And call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew is quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Or Isaiah writes, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The prophet is telling Ahaz that the Lord God will send a Messiah. That this Messiah, this rescuer, this savior, that he will be born of a virgin and that his name will be Emmanuel. This is the first verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. God has sent his son, God in the flesh, to be our rescuer, to redeem us from our captivity from sin and death. And what is so striking about what Matthew says is he quotes these verses, he goes out of his way to tell us what Emmanuel means. God with us. You see, Emmanuel is not just a name. It's a declaration. It's a proclamation of the good news of the gospel Emmanuel is proclaiming to you and to I that God has come to us. And that is good news. He is here. He is with us. 
This is what makes Christianity so unique in the world today. It's estimated that there are over 5,000 religions in our world, and they essentially all share the same message. They all promise a path, a way for you to get to God, a path to enlightenment, a path to righteousness and holiness, to find your way to God. Well, the message of the incarnation, the good news of the gospel for us this morning is this. You do not have to find your way to God because God has come to you. He is God with us. And Christianity is the only religion that tells us that God has come down to us. He is with us. He is God with us. J.R. Packer puts it this way. The supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us does not lie in the Good Friday message of atonement, nor in the Easter message of the resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. He goes on to say this, nothing in all of fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. What is he saying? He's saying that the incarnation is essential for us as Christians. That if you believe in the incarnation, then you can believe in the death of Christ, that he died on the cross as one of us. But he died for us. He atoned. He died. But you can also believe that he rose again, that in his divinity he conquered sin and in death. But if you disbelieve the incarnation, if you doubt it, if you doubt that it happened, then the very fabric of the gospel begins to unravel. You see, there's no cross without Christmas. There's no Jesus without Emmanuel. There's no Savior without God with us. Towards the beginning of the fourth century, a Christian bishop named Arius began to teach against the incarnation began to teach that Jesus was just a man. He was not divine. He's not God incarnate. He was a man that God created to be a perfect example for us. And this teaching, this heresy, this teaching and denial of the incarnation became so dangerous in the church that the bishops of Christianity, representing all of Christianity at the time, in 325, they gathered together in a place called Nicaea. And I discovered this week, so today, I didn't know this, is St. Nicholas Day. And this week I learned something that's become one of my favorite Christmas stories already. And something I will be telling my children when they're ready. St. Nicholas, who, yes, the same St. Nicholas who used to give toys to uh, people in secret. uh, Who's based, in many ways, was the basis for Santa Claus. St. Nicholas was at the Council of Nicaea. And not only was he there, but legend has it that during the debate with Arius, St. Nicholas became so outraged at the denial of the incarnation that he got up and he slapped Arius in the face. I'm not kidding. It was so core for him. It was so core for him that he, he couldn't compose himself. What does the incarnation mean to you this morning? What does Christmas mean to you? You see, it's more than just a time where we commemorate and remember Christ's birthday. 
It's a time that we celebrate the gospel itself, that God came down to us. He is God with us. Second, the incarnation proclaims to us that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. And again, we're told in Matthew, the angel comes to Joseph and says that Jesus will save his people from their sins. The very name Jesus means Savior. The question is, well, who are the people of Christ? Who are the people of the Messiah? Who has he come for? Who did he come to save? Well, the Bible tells us that first the Messiah came for his people, Israel. And this is the second verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel refers to Jesus as the Lord of might. And for the people of Israel, that's who they saw. A warrior. A warrior who would come and be their deliverer. Isaiah 11, verse 4. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. The people of Israel, they longed for a Messiah to come. A conquering Messiah who would come to rescue them. And this was not just part of their future. It was part of their past. Because they recognized that he was there with them. When they were delivered from Egypt. He was there in the burning bush. There in the smoke and the fire leading them out of Egypt. He was there. When Moses struck the rock and the rock was Christ, he was there and they were looking for him to come again. But the wonder of the gospel for us this morning is that Christ came not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. That's you and that's me. And so what is such great news for us this morning is that Christ came not just for Israel, but for every tribe, every tongue and every nation. And this is the third verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It refers to Jesus as the rod of Jesse. Now the word rod just means branch or shoot. Jesse, part of Jesus' heritage, the father of David. But what is so striking about this particular title is how Isaiah uses it. Isaiah 11, verse 10. And that day, Isaiah writes, the root or the rod of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. And that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar. He will raise a signal for the nations. He will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The rod of Jesse, Jesus Christ, has come for every tribe, every nation. And he came not with a sword in his fist, but he came lowly in a manger. A savior king, born in humility, raising a signal, beckoning that the nations would come. A signal to call them not to pick up their arms and to fight in a battle, but a call to take up their cross and follow the one who's already won the war. Jesus Christ, the Lord of might, the rod of Jesse, the savior of his people. The third way that the incarnation proclaims the gospel to us this morning. Jesus is the light in the darkness. One of the great themes of Christmas is the image of light. 
And already, if you drive around our city, you see at night light everywhere on street corners, on trees, on houses. Uh, just last night, I stayed up late to try to put all the lights in our tree. And we do it right in our house, which means it takes a lot of lights. And I had already gone back to the store to get more lights to try to finish. And yeah, I still have about a foot and a half to go. And I begin to wonder, why is it? Why do we decorate with light? Of all the things that we could decorate our houses with for an entire month out of the year, why light? Light is the universal symbol of hope. And when all that we see is darkness around us in our world, we need hope, don't we? And so this morning I ask you, do you need hope? If you admit that you need hope, where do you find that hope? Who are you placing your hope in? You see, the good news of the incarnation is that Jesus Christ is our hope, our real hope. And the image of that hope in the Bible is light. Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. John 1, in him was life and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Or my personal favorite from Luke. Luke 1, verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, or day spring, shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the fourth verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Jesus is our day spring. It's another word for sunrise. He is the light and the darkness. We are very accustomed with darkness, aren't we? And all it takes is to turn on the news and to see this darkness. The events that unfolded this week in San Bernardino to recognize how dark our world is. And it fills us with angst and fear, with anger. Sometimes this darkness is very close to home. More than just not out there, we recognize that this darkness exists in our own households in the form of cancer and sickness, a loved one who's gone too soon, our own depravity and addictions. Darkness surrounds us. We are acquainted with this darkness. And in that darkness, as we stumble, we ask a question that's been asked for thousands of years. God where are you? Where are you? How could you let this happen? How could you let this darkness continue? God, where are you? And as we cry out in the darkness, God, where are you? The good news of the incarnation gives us the answer. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He stepped down into the darkness, the light of the world, and he is the dawn. And so as we are surrounded by darkness, the good news is this. In the darkness of the night, we know the dawn is coming, and his name is Jesus Christ. The fourth and final way this morning that the incarnation proclaims to us the good news of the gospel, Jesus is our coming king. The last verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, calls Jesus the key of David. 
And the story of the key of David is found in an unlikely place in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1. The begats. I wonder how many of you have ever stopped to actually read the begats or to listen to them. I don't have time to even read them all this morning. But you wonder, why would Matthew take such trouble to tell us Jesus' lineage? Why is it such a big deal? Because Matthew is giving us Christ's royal line. And long ago, God comes to Abraham, the beginning of the line. And he promises to Abraham, Abraham, kings will come from you. Two kings in particular, David and David's greater son, Jesus Christ. He is the key of David. He is the one who will take David's throne and establish the kingdom of God forever and ever. Again, Isaiah 9 tells us of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end of the throne of David and over his kingdom. He's the key of David, our king, our king who is now seated at the throne, who we bow down to and worship. But what's so important about the word king of David is that actual title, key of David, does not actually appear in Isaiah. It doesn't appear in anywhere of the Messianic prophecies. It doesn't even appear in the Old Testament. The key of David is found in a different prophecy altogether. John's prophecy in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. You see, there's a key word in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel that sets it apart from all others. More than the antiphons, each name of Christ and his incarnation, it's the word come in every single verse. That's what Advent means, his coming. But the promise of key of David points to not his first Advent, but his second Advent, his second coming when he will come again. In the same way that he came before, our Messiah will come. He will step back into our darkness. And this time, he will make all things new and conquer sin and death once and for all. The fulfillment of every promise that God has given to us in the gospel. So O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, this morning for us is not just a proclamation, not just a reminder of who Christ is and his incarnation. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. A prayer that Christ, our Emmanuel, would come again. That he would save his people. That he would light up his darkness that we would bow before him as king and that we would recognize that he is God with us. And so I'm going to pray for us and I invite you when I'm done praying to stand and to sing. And as we sing, not only to proclaim who Christ is, God incarnate, but to pray, to make this your prayer that Christ would come again. Father, we come before you We're grateful for the good news of the incarnation, God with us. We thank you for what it speaks to us, what it proclaims to us, that it is good news. We pray, God, that we would trust in you, trust in that promise of good news, that we would hear what is being proclaimed, and that we would have hope. 
So, Father, we, we now pray that as we stand, as we sing, that you would remind us of who you are and who your son Christ is, but that you would call us and hear our prayer, that you would come again. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.